You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Turn through your Bibles to Mark chapter 6 this morning, please. Mark chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, the, I should be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word into your hands this morning, to your lap. Uh, Mark chapter 6. Uh, we're just going to lead this morning right into the Scripture. The Scripture needs no introduction. It needs no, like playing up or getting us riled up for the scripture speaks for itself and this is the very active living words of God and so uh, as let me give you one second to get there and then you should all be quick on the sword drills right because you have your Bibles open every week so sword drills sword drills there's my daughter for you everyone ready when you're ready say ready all right Mark chapter 6 verse 30 the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. No many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were, he being Jesus, because he had, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of food and bread to give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all, to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And after taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to the heavens and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Nothing new for most of us this morning. Parable of the feeding of the 5,000 for the Christians. We have this since we were a kid, memorized, right? We can tell this story with our eyes closed. Even for unbelievers, they can cite this story. And yet so often we can pass over texts like this and think that it's lost its significance in my life. But let's be honest, this story ought to elicit some sort of response from us. And it does. Even as I read that story, there's, there's a response that you already have pre-programmed in your mind and heart to stories such as this. Some of you, some of you are, are on this end of the spectrum and you're thinking, oh, this is amazing. This is my God. If I put a big enough faith coin in the Jesus machine, then he's going to produce this every time I ask. On the other end of the spectrum, you're like, for real? This is, this is totally not true. This is a fairy tale. And all this story does is put another log of unbelief on the fire, put another log on the fire of my unbelief, where yet others of you are like, yes, that's my Jesus, but I'm not sure he still does stuff like this today. Is that fair? But there's some sort of response you're having to this text. I want to propose to you, though, you know, some of the questions that you have this morning of like, is this for real? Is this the norm? Is this a one-off Jesus setting? I want to propose to you that sometimes in the midst of trying to figure out all of the supernatural realities of Jesus, we miss the whole point of the text, which is Jesus himself. So we're all caught up in the phenomena, yet we miss the point. Why did Jesus tell stories to point to himself. Why did Jesus do miracles? Because he wanted to reveal himself to his people. And so this morning we want to, yeah, maybe touch on some of the questions about the miracle, but more than that, we want to see the heart of Jesus Christ today. And so I want to propose to you, this text is not even about the greatness of the miracle. It's about the, the amazing reality of the compassionate heart of Jesus Christ for those around him. 
Look with me in the text today. If you have taken notes, I encourage you to. Point number one is this. Jesus' heart of compassion is on full display. If we look closely, we see the heart of Jesus clearer here than maybe ever before. Up to this point in Mark, we see the, his deep love and concern for, all, for both his disciples and for the crowds and ultimately for our own lives. Look, at me, look with me first in verses 30 to 34. Uh, what we're gonna do this morning is just simply uh, remind you of the story and then we'll get to the life application at the end um, as we sometimes do. Here's the story. Here's what we see first. Jesus cares deeply about his disciples' well-being. Look at this. The apostles returned to Jesus. Where did they return from? They returned from their first ministry assignment. Remember that when he commissioned them out, their first ministry assignment, go and preach and take what with you? Nothing. More like Survivor. They, re- they re- returned from Survivor. How was that for your first ministry gig? Hey, go and, go and take nothing with you and preach. They return, but before they can get up to the front of the class and tell each other what they experienced on this journey... People are flocking to them and, and they're uh, coming and going and they got thrust back into the life of the ministry and, and Jesus, it says here, they had no time for leisure even to eat and so doesn't it sound like 2020 a little bit? We get so busy, so busy, so busy and you know, sometimes we think Jesus says, do more, do more, do more. Look what Jesus says to his disciples. They just got back, they're, they're tired, they're hungry, they've been serving their hearts out. Jesus says, hey, hey how about no more work? How about some time for what's the word in here? This is a word that a lot of us don't like, but it's here. How about some rest? And so he descends his disciples on a little rest and rejuvenation retreat to go away and to not find themselves, but to find him. Look where they sent them for rest, to a desolate place. Not to a retreat resort somewhere, but to a desolate place. Interesting, in the Old Testament, the desert place was where God always met and tested and blessed his people. So they get back from this thing, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, hey, ministry 101, done. Now ministry 201, let's go. You got more to give. You got more to give. He goes, hey, stop for a minute. Stop for a minute. Take care of yourselves and rest for a while. So I want to stop here, and we're going to hit on this later, but I just want to stop here and let you think about that for a minute. Jesus cares more about your input than your output. Some of us need a little burr under our saddles to get us going, right? Some of us need a little push sometimes by the Lord. You need to do something for Jesus. Other of us need to be like, hey, stop doing for a minute and just sit down and rest. Take note, type A personalities. Jesus says rest is a good thing, not a bad thing. You know, the world says your success is, if you're busy, 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 success, success, right? Jesus says maybe not. If you take time to find Jesus, that's the best thing. Here's the second thing we see in this text. We see here that Jesus is not just concerned for his disciples, he's concerned for the crowd's spiritual state. So the disciples' physical reality, but the crowd's spiritual state. Look at this, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So picture this Sea of Galilee. We often think of the Sea of Galilee as the Pacific Ocean or Atlantic Ocean. It's just a little body of water. We think sea has to be big. Everything God's economy is big, right? Not in this sense. It's a little body of water. So they get out in their boat, and they're rowing, and it's such a small body of water. The people are like, there they are. They actually beat them to the desolate place to where they were going. And so they get there, and they're beat, and yet Jesus uh, is is with them. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot, to all the towns and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and noticed this. He'd been ministering more than the disciples had. He's exhausted at this point. He's hungry at this point. He tells the disciples, you need to go rest. But notice Jesus didn't need a rest. Why is that? Because he's God. Unlimited resources from God. And notice this too though. Instead of putting his own rest in front of the people's needs, He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to not nurse their wounds or look after all their whims. He began to teach them many things. You just have to notice this. He had compassion on them. Jesus, before meeting his own needs, had compassion on others. This word compassion in the New Testament, this is the only, in this specific word, the only place it's ever used in the New Testament is for Jesus Christ. In other words, he has compassion. We know what compassion is, right? It's, it's an empathy for others. But so often we think of compassion as well, like, oh, I feel so bad for you and, and let me say a prayer for you one day and you never end up getting to it, Right? 
But this is deeper than that. It's a compassion. It's a care. It's an empathy. It's actually a heart-wrenching, I get where you're at. But beyond that, it moves him to action, to actually do something about the need, about the need that is actually before him. And the need that's before him more than anything else is a spiritual need. They didn't need a high five at this point and clothes on their backs. They had something deeper going on. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Some versions in, in the, the story say they were like harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, you know what a shepherd is? You know what a sheep is without a shepherd, right? Sheep are the, the dumbest animals on the planet, believe it or not, even worse than cats. And the reality is sheep can't do anything by themselves. And what does a sheep need a shepherd for? A sheep needs a shepherd for absolutely everything. A sheep needs guidance. A, a sheep falls in holes and can't get himself like, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Every time. A sheep can't make sense of forward and backwards and where the best grass is and how to nurse their wounds. A sheep can't protect themselves. And so Jesus sees compassion to these people. They're without, they're without a God. And, and we can't skip over this because Jesus is really showing them in this that he has a heart of a shepherd for sheep. In other words, what a shepherd is. What's a shepherd's goal? Take care of the sheep. What's a shepherd's job? One thing, take care of the sheep. Jesus is relating to us. This is what he is to, not only his own, but even to those outside as he tries to draw them, as he aims to draw them to himself, but for his own, here's what he is. He's a sheep to us. He's a father to us. Even more than a shepherd. Relation, connection. John 10, 11, Jesus says this. I am the good shepherd. He's showing his disciples that I am the shepherd to my people. Isaiah 40, verse 11, prophecy of Jesus. Like a shepherd, he will, he is going to tend his flock. In his arm, he's going to gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Of course, you know Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I don't long for anything else. I don't need anything else. This is Jesus Christ to his people here. He has this heart and compassion for his creation, especially for those that are called his. Just take note of this in your own life because sometimes I think we get to this point. We think that, man, Jesus is too busy to stop and take time for me. He's busy running the universe, right? And all these needs going up to him. Third world countries are throwing prayers at him. Why would he take time for me? And yet, look at Jesus takes time for those who need him most. I love this about our God. He doesn't need, he doesn't have a secretary you have to go through. He doesn't get on his, his agenda somewhere, a calendar somewhere. He is available for us. And when we need him, when we feel like we're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, guess what? He is there and he is ready and willing to engage with us. Make note of that. This is a picture of Jesus to you. Here's the meat of the story. Jesus' charity for the people's physical essentials. Again, we so often think that Jesus loves the spiritual realm. It doesn't care about the physical realm. Well, take a look at this. So Jesus gets right into his sermon in this context. He began to teach them many things. And so he's realizing the need, and he's like, man, I, you, you have to know there's more to this life than what you're experiencing. You have to know there's a God out there who loves you. You have to know that I am the Messiah. And he starts teaching so long that he teaches right through supper. This is encouraging to pastors like me, because some of you guys, you preach too long. Well, look at this. Jesus preached right through supper. So put that argument away for the time being. Not even again, think of this. He was tired. He was hungry. So the disciples pick up on this. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. They're like, hey, Jesus, do we need a clock in the back of the church for you now or what? All this fame going to your head. Now you can't like shut her down when it's time to shut her down. Like, can't you see? Are you lost touch with your people's needs? Like, it's kind of almost like a derogatory thing. Like, Jesus, are you lost touch? They're hungry. They're tired. Like, what gives? What are we going to do for supper? It's a desolate place. No subways, no Sobies. It's late. Why don't you send them away so they can go to the 
strip mall and find something to eat. So obviously there's food somewhere close by. Some of them go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. I love how Jesus answers, right? What are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? Well, why don't you do something about it? It's one of those questions that, you know, when your dad asks you when you're a kid and you ask you a question, you know it's a trick question, right? And you're like, you know what? You're not sure what the answer he's looking for, and you're just kind of like, ah! Can you tell me the answer? Interesting how the disciples, like, they're staring at Jesus. Notice this. They're staring at Jesus. Remember, remember all the experience with Jesus? They, they just watched him calm the storm in the boat. Remember that story we walked through? Remember all the healings he's done? Remember, the, remember the, the, the Jairus' daughter? They watched him raise somebody from the dead and then heal that perpetually ill woman for all those years. Like, like they've experienced the casting out of demons. And look how, look, I'm encouraged by the disciples, to be honest. Look how small their faith is. Well, Jesus, what are we going to do? Almost like, well, I don't know, why don't you tell me? Almost like, have you forgotten who you're looking at? You're looking at Jesus. And they say this. How are we going to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it them to eat? They didn't even ask, where's the food going to come from? So I guess if it's close by somewhere, they went to the money thing. Well, how are we going to buy enough bread for these guys to eat? 200 denarii, one denarii was worth a, a day's wage. So that's 200 days worth of a salary. So that's what, three quarters of a year. That's, that's six months, eight months of salary. Who, who, where are we going to get this kind of money, Jesus? Again, Calm the storms. I made the earth. So he says this to them. He's like, how about you go and find out how many loaves you have? Go and see. He found out they said five and two fish. You know, from other accounts, this is one little boy whose mother was kind enough to make him a couple tuna sandwiches, right? Here's some fish. Here's some bread. No tartar sauce. No mayo, tomato, lettuce, or garnishing. Just bread and fish. I guess that was a good deal back then. And so the little boy... With the bread and fish, is like, oh, that's all I got, but if you want it. Jesus then takes the bread and the fish, takes the role of host here. All right, boys, I'll take it from here, he says. Verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass. Notice how Jesus is very ordered. He's not random. It's not flipping. He doesn't get caught off guard. He's very ordered here. He sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, making it easier to serve and taking the bread, taking the bread, the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to the heavens. Notice he looked up to the heavens. What do we do when we pray? We bow down, right? He looked up to the heavens, dependence, expectation from God, and he said a blessing. The Jews gave blessing both before and after they had meals. He didn't eat anything without praying and thanking the Lord. He didn't stop a meal without stopping and thanking the Lord. And so he probably said something like this. His blessing was probably something like this. A Jewish customary blessing was this. Praise to you, O Lord our God, King of the world who makes bread come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. Jesus, praise be to you, O Lord our God, King of the world who makes bread come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. Said a blessing. Lord heard his prayer and he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate. I love this. They were all ate and were satisfied. They didn't scrimp by. They weren't like, okay, we got enough to satisfy us. Now let's get to McDonald's. They all ate and were, what were they? Love it, eh? Jesus doesn't just provide. He provides to Satisfaction. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and, and even leftovers. What was the 12 baskets about? Maybe it's one for each disciple. Remember, the disciples hadn't eaten yet. Maybe it's one for every disciple. And you had no faith. Now look at you, got a whole basket full left. Maybe it's one for every tribe in, in, in Israel saying, you know, I've provided for them all along. Now I'm going to also provide for you. But we do know this, that all those who ate the loaves were satisfied. 5,000 men in other words, men with their families, and so uh, estimates 15 to 20,000 people got fed this day. 15 to 20,000 people got fed by five loaves of bread and two fish. You know what you're thinking? Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. This is a historical, actual book. 
Stories proven. You go to Jerusalem, you walk in these places, you see these places, you touch these places. Jesus really did live and this miracle really did happen. So here's our application for this to help you understand this effectively. I want to start with the miracle things. I know it's burning your minds and hearts right now. This is bugging you. This really happens, really happened. Here's the truth of this. Jesus still is a God of miracles today. What does he want to teach us? Our God is the same in Hebrews that says as yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. And you know what it means? It means this is still the same Jesus that we serve today. He still does miracles today. I get it. Logically, it doesn't make sense. Many people stumble over the miracles and treat this as an excuse of why Jesus can't possibly exist. And so the liberal theology that started in the late 1800s, early 1900s has come up with all kinds of different ways to explain this because we know Jesus lived. We know this happened. So how do we explain how this happened? This idea comes from um, religious historical thought and trying to explain away some things that, that are just clearly true that it just takes a little bit of faith. And quite honestly, some of the ex- explanations from liberal theology, liberal theologians of what really happened here take more faith to believe than actually if you actually believe it just happened the way it happened. For example, one theologian suggests that this happened because uh, Jesus was just setting the people up and wanted to make himself greater than he really was. So what he did beforehand is he stalked this cave full of bread and fish. And so when the time came, I know, I was laughing at it too. Someone actually preached this. So when it actually came time for the people to be fed, you know, they had a long flowing gown on. The disciples did a bucket brigade behind him to the cave and they slipped it under his gown to him and he just passed it out like, and everyone was like, oh, that was a pretty cool miracle. For real? Someone didn't sniff that out? Another popular theory is this, that it wasn't really a miracle of feeding 5,000. It was actually just the, the miracle was that it was an ethical miracle that everybody actually was just like the little boy. They had five loaves and two fish and they just shared. Jesus said, you got some food? Share it. And the miracle was they all shared. If that's the case, then Sunday school has miracles every single week. And everyone was fed because everyone shared. Again, there's really no explanation for this apart from the reality that this actually happened. That impossible things happen with an impossible God. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus looked at the people who were with him and said about salvation, with man this is impossible, but with God things, not just salvation is possible, but all things are possible. And so we read this and we understand this, that Jesus can still do these types of things in our lives today. Does he do it all the time? Absolutely not. Does he do it on our whims and say, well, now I want the miracle now, Jesus? Well, that would make us God and not him, right? So absolutely not, but but does Jesus still do this? Absolutely true. Here's, I think, the struggle that we have in our own hearts and lives. Um, One is, we have so much, we don't come to these places very often in North America, where we come to a place of desperate need to see Jesus actually do it. Another thing is this, we're looking for these great big monumental miracles of Jesus in this like shock and awe sort of way that we miss the reality that he does these things in our lives on a regular daily basis, but we're so blind to them, we miss them. For example, those weeks where you're struggling to make ends meet and you're looking in the fridge and there's not much there. And you're like, God, how are you going to provide this week? We have five days left and only three days left of food. And you get to the end of the week and somehow you realize that God provided. He made that food go a little further every day of the week. And you're like, wow, thank you, Lord. Or maybe not. You're like, oh, we made it through that week, but you don't see little miracles in there. Maybe it's those times you have no money and your car breaks down and you take it to the shop and realize it wasn't as significant as you thought or it was significant as you thought, and you have no way, how are we going to pay for this? And so you put it on your credit card, and you're like, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work. And by the end of the month, you have your credit card paid. And you scratch your head going, how did that happen? I think we miss the little miracles God does in our lives all the time. We just take them for granted. We don't see them. Think about all the times God provides at just the right time in your life. In whatever way, that client finally paying that bill or those random little gifts you get. I remember when we were early on in life and ministry, we had a youth pastor salary, and so we made basically the 
poverty line. And we came into these situations all the time where it was like, what are we going to do next? Remember one specific example when Maya was in the hospital and I was uh, trying to work and care for our family and we were putting a lot of money into the parking. Hospitals are great because they have gouge you with parking, right? And running back and forth every day and trying to figure things out. I remember coming home one night and like, I don't know where, how we're going to do this. Like, we can't keep doing this. How's this going to work? I was in the hospital for a long time. I remember going back to the hospital uh, the next day and coming home and Ruth's mother was there and she goes, hey, someone stopped by. We're like, well, who was it? We don't know. But uh, they dropped off this envelope for you and it was $800 in 20s. I have my suspicions to who it was, but I still don't know who it was to this day. It was some guy named Ruth's mom's terrible with names. Like, how many times has that happened to you? I can give you countless times where you're like, but God. But I wanted the feeding of the fire. But God, who is faithful. Why? Because he loves you. He's got a heart of compassion for you. Even the things you don't think to ask him for, he still provides for you in your life. God is still a God of miracles today. Here's another truth I just want you to see from this text that comes from the kind of the first point I roughly made in here. And it's this, is Jesus cares so much about you that he longs for you not just to do things for him, but he invites you to restful health and balance. Look at the first four verses here just to kind of unpack for you, the disciples and, and all that they had done and all that they were doing. And, and, and doesn't it sound like us today? I know I've learned this lesson over the past year and a half in 150,000 different ways, as you guys know, but doesn't it sound like us today? We get so busy, we get so busy, we get so busy. I wonder if busy is a four-letter word to God. Oh, no, it's a badge of honor. Well, you got a lot going on. That's awesome. No, I got more going on than you going on. Well, you're better than I am for sure. I wonder if that's even God's looking at us and going like, are you kidding me? Who are you trying to impress? Because you're not impressed with me. I love the invitation God gives his disciples to. I, I highlighted that word. I circled that word. I probably would have preached this a year and a half ago and skipped right over that part, but I can't skip over it anymore. What does he invite us to? Say it again with me. You said it earlier. What does he invite us to? He invites us to rest. I love it. Is there ever a message you need to hear today in 2020 in our culture? I think it's this. You need to stop, slow down, and rest once in a while. Oh, there's too much to do, there's too much to do. And then you come into church going, I'm not experiencing God, I don't have this fullness of life, and I, I can't figure out why. I'm, I'm reading my devotions like that, and I'm getting out the door with a prayer on the way out, and, and I can't figure out why in the world that like God's not being real to me like he is somebody else. And maybe can I propose to you this, because we I don't take Jesus' invitation just to stop and rest. But there's so much to be done. There's parenting to do and a job to get to and a church to maintain and family and friend relationships to keep up and kids running everywhere. I'm trying to be the perfect Christian, leave a lasting impact. And the world moves so fast. You know what we do? We miss out on the compassionate, caring, loving heart of Jesus who simply invites us to first and foremost relationship and to be human beings before we're human doings. I want to tell you this because it comes from the text. Jesus cares more about you than you getting things done for him. Jesus isn't the boss that you show up for and you're like, what next, sir? Jesus is a loving father who sometimes invites you to sit and rest. In fact, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Maybe this is you this morning. You need this. You need to see the compassionate heart of God. Maybe you see God as a driver and he's, he's driving you and you haven't done enough yet and you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. And maybe you need to hear this today. Here's what Jesus invites us to in this text. Come to me, all you who labor. We're laboring so hard and are heavy laden. The burdens pile up. The more we labor, the burdens pile up and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know what Jesus cares about more than just your spirituality? It's a form of Gnosticism, you know that? When we believe that Jesus cares about my soul and not my body. It's all spiritual, it's all spiritual, it's all spiritual. We're gonna be super spiritual. It's a form of Gnosticism. 
Jesus cares about your whole being. I learned that the hard way, as you guys know, a year and a half ago. Because that's the only way he could shut me down to teach me the lesson. But man, am I learning it in greater ways now. Jesus doesn't want you to run through life missing out all the deep moments of experiences with him and others. And somehow think that's being successful. I believe in Jesus' mind, that's being a failure, not a success. Jesus cares about not just your soul, but your body, exercise, taking care of yourself, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and your mind, doing things that you enjoy to relieve the pressure. And well, that's not serving God, that's not being spiritual, that is serving God because you're enjoying the things he's given you, even enjoying your hobbies. That's not a bad thing. Well, that's not spiritual at all. That is very spiritual. It's enjoying the creation around you, the, the person God made you to be. And, and isn't it weird how we get all like bent out of shape in the weirdest things when Jesus just says, you know what, my first goal for you is to just to come and enjoy my presence. Do you realize how people get to become harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, I think, in today's day and age? It's because we're too busy because we're too busy. And we don't take time. Jesus, he's speaking to the crowds here when he comes and he says, just sit and let me teach you. But I think, I think this is true of all of us. We need sometimes just to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, like, like on a daily basis. The times where you find yourself harassed and helpless and wandering around, you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do and nothing makes sense and your prayers are hitting the ceiling and oh my goodness, oh my goodness. You know what the, you know what the, 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 the crisis factor is here? It's not that Jesus isn't with you anymore. It's that you fail to stop like Mary and just sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from his teaching again. Say we're like Martha running around like crazy. Jesus wants us more than anything in this life to allow his heart to reach ours through just simply getting into the word of God on a daily basis and taking time to do this, which I think we've missed in our day and age, is Psalm 46, 10, to be still and know that I am God. Even our devotions, we rush, we try so hard to get something out of it and God gets some spiritual, just to be still. And, and in your time with, with, with God, don't just read the text for a lesson to learn. Read it to see Jesus Christ. And read it to learn again. Like you have something to learn from Jesus again. Well, I've already learned the whole Bible. I know what it is. Let God speak to you again in a fresh way. Learn just to rest at the feet of Jesus and let him then guide your life on a daily basis. Jesus in this text, I know it's not the main part of it, but I think it's important for us, invites us to restful health and balance. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands because I'm pretty sure we'd have a bunch of failures in this room just like me. But I'm going to challenge you to do this this week. Think about how am I truly how am I truly living in balance for Jesus? Am I truly enjoying God? Am I truly enjoying the life he's given me? I get there's seasons of busyness and seasons of, of not so busy, but am I, really, am I really taking time to just bask in my relationship with Jesus and to refresh and rejuvenate in my daily spiritual and physical walk? Don't forget, God has called us to the endurance race, not the sprint. Endurance, not a sprint. How about this lesson? Jesus optimizes my contributions to his kingdom. Jesus optimizes my contributions to his kingdom. He takes my meager and makes it magnificent. He takes my meager and makes it magnificent. Look at this. A a boy with five loaves and two fish, that's it. I'm sure if you asked him that day, he'd be like, oh, what do you want my loaves and fish for? Are you guys going to eat it yourselves? There's 12 of you. It's not even going to fill you guys. But notice this little boy with a childlike faith as compared to the disciples' lack of faith. He's like, yeah, you want my f- bread and fish? Go ahead and take it. Loaves, probably not being like loaves, like, you know, French loaves, probably just being little buns, basically. Five little buns and two fish. But look at this. Look at his heart. You want it, Jesus? You can have it. And Jesus takes that heart and he multiplies it in magnificent ways for his kingdom. I wonder if sometimes we fail to give Jesus our time and our talents and our treasures because we don't think we have enough to offer. What do you use for me, God? Like, I'm just a regular average person and barely have any time and I'm not as talented as most of the people in this room and treasures. Like, I'm just barely making ends meet, so I got to keep it for myself. And I wonder how much really stop to think about, man, you know what Jesus asks us for? He asks us for just a sacrificial willingness to give 
of our time, talents, and treasures, and he will take that and he will multiply his kingdom in ways that we have no idea. We look so in our own eyes, world's eyes, and this can't make any difference. God wants your life to make a difference by you willing to be give back of yourself whatever you have for the glory of God. Think about this, think about this. The one or two hours you do have in a week to serve Jesus. Well, I don't have any time, I don't have any time, I don't have any time, you have time. We have time for all the things that are important to us. What about offering God just that one hour, that, those two hours and saying, God, I don't have much time. I want to give you my one hour to think about ministry inside the church and outside the church. I want to give you my two hours because I realize, God, my weeks are filled, but they're filled with a lot of frivolous things. They're filled with a lot of things that revolve around me and not you. And, and see what God can do in your heart and through your life by giving him just a, the, whatever you have to offer him and giving it to him and saying, God, I want to be useful for the kingdom of God in this life. Use me as you see fit. What about using your talents for the Lord? I don't have much to offer. Well, we have people in here setting up with a gift of service. They don't even realize that seven in the morning that allows you to hear the word of God clearly. We have people serving in Harvest Kids looking after some of your children so you can hear the word of God. And, well, I don't have much. I'm not that skilled. There's a place for you to serve. How about just start giving God your talents and your abilities and not thinking it's for everybody else? This is so common in church. You know the 20-80 rule, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I think that's often. I think it's probably 90% of the people, 90% of the work that's done by 10% of the people. But by God's grace, not in our church. Not in our church, we have probably half of our church engaged, which means there's the other half not engaged. The half that are engaged, awesome. You're doing a fantastic job of offering what you have to the Lord, and God's using you in significant ways. The victories we have in our church are not because of me and the staff. It's because of all of us together. For those of you who aren't maybe in that place, I encourage you, what, what about just, just using whatever talent you have for the glory of God? Yeah, outside the church, but the only way the church thrives is if we all put our eggs in the basket and lives on the table and say, God, use them. What about this? I don't have much to put in the offering plate, but ever thought of this, that your 10 bucks could be the 10 bucks that buys a Bible that someone's gonna take out of this place and be changed with forever? Or your 10 bucks is gonna buy that discipleship book for that student or that small group person that didn't have the resources for that and your 10 bucks is actually gonna pay for the book that they're using that's gonna change their lives in a dramatic way for the purposes of God? Or your 10,000 bucks is maybe one day going to help us build a building that we can then, by God's grace, be a ministry center to reach all of Niagara region, which is our prayer for the glory of Jesus Christ. I just want you to notice this. The disciple just gave what he had. And God multiplied his meager contribution into a monumental, significant miracle. Can we have the faith, church, to believe that, that, that God can use our stuff in the same way? Beyond that, I want you to notice the disciples. Contrast that little boy, the disciples. The disciples who had been with Jesus, who had seen the miracles, get face to face with man. This is the moment that Jesus has to do what he has to do. And guess what they did? They faltered in their faith. But notice this God still used them for the miracle. Don't miss that. Disciples, you go, you go. How are we going to get the money? I don't know what to do. You know what Jesus could have done? Okay, step aside, bozos. Snapped his fingers. Everyone could have had a loaf of bread and a fish in their lap instantly in that crowd. But notice this. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to use you even in your lack of faith. Isn't that what holds us back a lot of time, our lack of faith? Well, God can't use me. I don't know. I have enough faith in God. Well, I want to tell you, as your pastor, I sometimes often don't have enough faith in God. God still uses this bozo like he uses the disciple bozos, right? And here's the reality. God used them in their lack of faith to still accomplish the miracle. Our, God isn't contingent upon our faith to do anything. But he uses us even in our lack of faith to do great things for the kingdom. Even think about this miracle. Maybe no one knew about the miracle except the disciples. People, the 5,000 people might not have been close, right? Big crowd, they might have not ever, they have no idea what happened in that moment. God did this for the disciples' faith and, and God's, God's work in our lives moves us from a place of like, I don't believe, to a place of active faith in Jesus Christ. And this ought to be happening in our lives. 
God, I don't have much faith, but can you use me in my faith for what I do have? And God, uh, can you move me in my faith to actually not just stand there and say, I don't think it's gonna happen, but actually do something for the glory of God? Notice how God's care and compassion doesn't just test the disciples' faith, but he shows them who he is again through his use of miracles. This is another lesson they had to learn again. Even if you come into church, you think, I've already heard this before. Disciples had to learn this again. How many miracles have they now sat through? They had to learn it again. They had to learn it again. They had to learn it again. No messages are like, I already know this one. So we have to learn it again. To walk by faith and not by sight. How about this one? Jesus often overwhelms us with abundance. Jesus often overwhelms us with abundance. I read this, and 5,000 is a pretty spectacular number, but 15 to 20,000 people were ate and were satisfied. In other words, God, Jesus scratched their hunger itch and beyond. Notice this. Again, we often think that God wants to answer our spiritual prayers but not our physical prayers. What a farce. God cares about all of you and your well-being at the same time. Notice this. Jesus met their needs and not just their meager needs. Well, God, just give me a little bit of crumbs and I'll be satisfied. That's you know, the spiritual thing to say. But God gave them in abundance. And I'm not getting a prosperity here because God doesn't give us an abundance whenever we ask and there's no magical formulas for this. But sometimes God in his abundant mercy gives us miracles. I love in this text how this was all just a setup by Jesus Christ. It was all set up. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly how long he preached. He knew exactly how hungry they were. All he was doing was setting them up to show them the glory of himself. And sometimes God allows us to lack on purpose so that we will once again see the wonder and the glory of God's compassionate heart for our lives. We don't like to hear that message, right? Because we always want to be flowing in abundance. But God has something deeper to show us than the abundance of provision. He wants to show you himself. He wants to show you his heart. Luke 11 says this. God is, Jesus is the perfect father who gives good gifts to his children. Well, God doesn't want to bless me. He wants to bless other people. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't have enough faith. God loves you. If you're his, God loves you like his children. If you've repented of your sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ for the true Jesus, you are a child of the living God. And it says in Luke 11, verses 11 to 13, it says this, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a fish? Instead of giving a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Yes, he gives us the Holy Spirit, but he also gives us abundantly more. You don't think he does? Just look around, man. Like, look around. We, none of us in this room truly are in need or lack. None of us. In fact, I read a stat this week that if we make 32,400 Americans, so that's about 40,000 Canadian, 40,000 Canadian, if we make $40,000 Canadian a year, we are in the top 1% of earning income in the world. God's not providing. He's providing for us. Notice what he provided for them. It wasn't the lavish three-course meal with the bib and a fork and waiters. We had waiters, disciples. But notice what he provided for them. Fish and bread. Their needs, not all their desires, but their needs. We have our needs met. And sometimes I think we fail to stop and say, God, thank you for giving me all that I need. And, and really, ultimately, the only reason we're unsatisfied in our day and age, in our culture, and here in Canada, most of us, is not because we don't have enough, because we're not satisfied and thankful for what we do have. I think we could all say we're like disciples, 12 baskets left. What do I do with my baskets? What do I do with my baskets? Maybe use them to feed other people the truth of Jesus and take care of their needs. It's not just a one-off. Just you know, It's not just a one-off, this miracle. It's not a one-off. Remember the exodus in the wilderness? The people were like, we have no food. We have no food. Send us back. Me no longer. Send us back. We have no food. What did God provide for them in abundance? Manna. And they ate that for a little while, little passion flakies, right? They ate the passion flakies for a while and got bored of those. We're like, now we don't have any meat. Where are we going to get meat? No one have any meat. You're so mean, God. He remember provided quail in abundance to prove a point, right? It made them sick. Provided quail in abundance. 
Then we read in 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44, Elisha with his 100 troops and 20 loaves of bread and barley, and the Lord multiplied and fed them the whole thing and had some left over. This is, this is how God cares for the very physical needs of his people. Please don't discount in your attempt to be maybe overly spiritual. Please don't discount Philippians 4, 19 and verses like that. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Instantly, like you slap your fingers and God's there? Not at all. Remember, he's teaching us. He's growing us. He's trying to show us more than a miracle. I think we just come to God as a miracle dispenser if he just did it that way. He's teaching us. He's showing us. He's growing us. The greater view of God, the greater appreciation for his caring heart, and a greater, most of all, greater uh, view of his glory in our lives. But God will provide every one of our needs. Even sometimes when we don't ask him to, he will. Remember when I was on my first year of college, my dad was a pastor growing up, and I grew up with very, very little. I tell my kids all the time they don't realize how much they have because I grew up with very, very little. Remember my first year of college, we had the scholarship chapel right at the beginning of the year, and um, they're giving all these scholarships out. And I hadn't applied for any because I wasn't that ambitious back then. I just thought, well, we'll scrape through. I'll work hard in the summer. And uh, my name was called the Philippians 419 Scholarship. And I was like, that is just bizarre. I didn't apply for a scholarship. How did I get this? What they did is they, everyone who applied, they also put every pastor's kid in there because they figured that the pastor's kids would need one. And of all the people, and I wasn't even sure how I was going to pay for the year, but of all the people, uh, big fat loan is what my plan was, of all the people, I got picked. I called my dad and said, Dad, I got a scholarship. I'm so proud of you, son, for taking the initiative and applying for a scholarship. I didn't. <laughs> Figures, I think was the response. How did that happen? Because it says in Philippians 419 scholarship, believe it or not. Amazing, hey? Brothers and sisters, you don't have to doubt. You don't have to fear. You don't even have to stress. You have to try and figure things out on your own. Guess what? God promises he will supply. I'm not saying sit on the couch and be lazy and not work hard for your paycheck and expecting everyone else to supply for you, but, but get this, you, you'd be responsible, right? Which I know most of you are. God will provide for your every need according to his glorious riches. What's his riches? CEO of the universe, he has everything at his disposal. And when he wants you to have it, when it's good for you, you'll have it. If you don't need it, it's not going to be good for you, you won't have it. So we can all take a collective, ah, thank you, Jesus, for loving me enough to provide for my needs. Here's the last one that you can't miss. Jesus is the bread of life. This is the ultimate, this is the ultimate Jesus feeding the 5,000. What he really wants to show us is, is the fact that he is the bread of life. Think of this, this is the communion theme. Think of how Jesus is breaking this bread and blessing it. It's just like communion, like he did the night before he was, he was killed his disciples, right? And, and he blessed, blessed the bread and, and he gave a prayer and he basically said to his disciples, I, and this is my body which is broken for you. This is what he's showing us in this text. Ultimately, he's showing us that he is the son of God, the, the, the one who has all power, the Messiah who came to save us, but he is also our bread of life. In other words, the only person that truly satisfies is not the bread that we eat, it's Jesus Christ himself. What bread is to our bodies, Jesus is to our souls. Jesus is our everything, is what we long for, is what we need. He satisfies our every single desire, even when we don't understand it, think so. I think the world has more to offer. Jesus is our ultimate satisfaction. Take that word satisfies and circle it and circle it and circle it and put beside it, Jesus Christ is my bread of life. That's what this is pointing to. Please don't miss, don't get wrapped up in the miracle, miss the reality of this. Jesus came to live and to die that he would come and ultimately be our 100% true satisfaction. Jesus says this in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Your soul's sustenance is Jesus Christ. Your source of nourishment is Jesus Christ. He is what keeps you going every single day of your life. He provides to your soul what you need to sustain your life in times of feast and in times of famine. Only Jesus can and does. More than multiplying food in our lives, what he came to do is multiply 
our view of God, our view of himself. To show us these miracles that yes, I can trust him, his heart is for me. Whatever decisions you're making, I can trust him, his heart is for me. And I know in the end, if I have Jesus, I will be satisfied. The hard part's getting there, isn't it? The hard part's surrendering ourselves to this truth and choosing to believe this truth and living out this truth because we're human beings. And so don't beat yourself up over that. God is bigger than your humanness. But let's together by faith say, Jesus, I want to see more of you in our lives, in our church. I want to experience more of what you have to offer. I want to stop chasing after the world's things and I want to chase after Jesus who is my everything. Let me pray. Father, what an encouraging text for us today. I pray a soul-stirring text for us today. We sometimes love to come into church and be challenged, and yet what a challenge this is, God, just to stop and realize the greatness of who you are, the, the heart of care and compassion your son has for us. Forgive us for the times that we doubt, oh Lord. Forgive us for the times that we try and fix things on our own or figure things out. Father, come and give us true spiritual rest today. For those that need rest today, would they be invited today to truly take a Sabbath day and get into the rhythm of God in their lives and to truly rest? knowing that you are God. For those that think they have nothing to offer, God, would you stir them to come and just offer you what they do have, lack of resources, lack of faith like the disciples, and say, God, here's my life, will you use it? God, I pray that you stir many to do that today, maybe even for the first time to come and say, God, I, I, I wanna use my life for your kingdom. I don't wanna waste it any longer on myself. I wanna use it for your kingdom. Take the little I have to offer and multiply it for great things. I trust you in this, God. Father, help us to see your abundant provision in our lives. Oh, God, you've blessed us abundantly. Thank you. May we not hold on to those things or treat them like our own, like we earn these things. But God, we look at every blessing as a gift from you. Thank you for the abundance you've given us. Help us to not be content or conceited or complacent in that. But instead, oh God, help us just to worship you. We have a lot of reasons to worship this morning. Ultimately, Jesus, thank you for coming to die on the cross for my sin and Every, the sins of every person in this room. Thank you for loving enough to give of yourself for us. To satisfy the wrath of God. That I can truly be satisfied. You're precious, Jesus. There's no one like you. It's almost too good to be true, but it's real. You're the king of the universe and the compassionate lover of our souls. We love you. Amen.